This is Good Together, the podcast that inspires you to create change in the world every day. I'm your host, Laura Alexander-Wittig, CEO and founder of Brightly, the number one destination for conscious consumers around the world. At Good Together, we value the planet over perfection and believe that you can make positive things happen for the planet every day by being a conscious consumer and an informed citizen. Listen in as I chat with various experts about living and consuming responsibly. Together, listeners, I am so excited to welcome Jeremiah Chapman to the podcast today. Jeremiah is the CEO and co founder of Fresh Fry, a plant based product that cleans oil to extend its use, and he's a Forbes 30 under 30 honoree in manufacturing and industry. So one thing that I am so excited to talk to Jeremiah about today is about food waste. If you listen to this podcast, you know that I am very much obsessed with food waste. So uh, welcome, Jeremiah. And I wonder if you can uh, introduce yourself to, to the uh, podcast listeners. Sure. Uh, thanks, Laura. Uh, name is Jeremiah Chapman, co-founder and CEO of Fresh Fry. You've already got the intro there. Um, and what we do is to make it really simple. We take one corporation's trash and make it into another corporation's treasure. Uh, and we're really passionate about that because we believe that waste is basically... Uh, someone who just wasn't creative enough to figure out what else to do with it. So I'm super yes. thrilled to be here with <laughs> you today and looking forward to the conversation. I love that take. You're right. I mean, I uh, for me, waste is pretty much my main pillar of sustainability when I think about my own personal eco-friendly journey. Um, it's a big part of what we do at Brightly and Good Together. So yes, um, I think when we think about waste, both from a personal context and then a industrial context, um, specifically the agricultural you know, um, and, and food industry, this is super interesting to me. So tell me a little bit about what Fresh Fry does and how you're, ba- you're basically able to execute on the, you know, food scrap waste point of the equation, and then also how you help uh, restaurants and, you know, people in the food industry better conserve oil waste. I think it's so interesting. Absolutely. Um, so before I, before I do that, I, I want to hop back just a bit to, you know, wh- why does Fresh Fry exist? So as I yeah. said before, we we take one corporation's trash and turn it into another corporation's treasure. We redeploy waste. That's what we call it here uh, at Fresh Fry. And the way we got started is actually uh, from my childhood. I used to uh, cook with my grandmother and she would, let's say she'd fry fish or something. Yep. And then right after that, she would fry some potatoes to clean the oil. So that's where the concept came from. Okay. Um, and then she would fry something after the potatoes and they would no longer taste like fish. So I was just fascinated by that. Um, and then also just really passionate about uh, taking oil and actually making fuels from it. So uh, my background exposed me to a ton of creativity, uh, creativity with cooking um, and creativity with using uh, plants or vegetables to do exactly what we do today. So we just elevated it. My, my background is in chemical engineering, and I utilized my childhood and my background and kind of spun them together 
uh, to create pods. So what we were looking for was something that would clean oil. I mean, yep. when I was in college, what I would do is take old oil from restaurants and make diesel from it. And by the time I got it, it was extremely gross. So I clicked back to my grandmother and said, well, she knew how to clean it. Maybe I can figure this out. Potatoes didn't work <laughs> for me, but I, that's where I started researching. Uh, how can we use other sources of waste to do that? Now, when we're talking about the food industry, the biggest challenge is viewing waste as a, a raw material. Uh, most folks view it as they don't treat it as a as an ingredient. They treat yep. it as a disposal. So it yep. makes it a little bit tough. So there needed to be a company that took on the challenge of elevating it back to its useful, higher use form. Uh, and that's what Fresh Fry uh, does uh, for these waste streams. And in the food industry, since we've been able to do that, folks have been able to link onto our commitment to make their own uh, business goals, whether it's saving money on oil or making it just simple for the people in the, in the back of the restaurant. Uh, so ho hopefully that that answers your question <laughs> or we can dig into it a little bit more. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I really think it's it's awesome to hear about your background and what inspired you to start the company. Um, I, you know, I think we all kind of have these little um, areas of our sustainability journey that hop out and and really speak to us in, in a way that inspires us to to create our careers that are really uh, impactful for the planet. So, so that's amazing. So yeah, tell me a little bit more about um, the pods themselves. Like, tell me a little bit about like how you came up with the design, maybe um, how they're created and um, tell me a little bit more about how they work. Sure. So uh, the way that pods work, they remove the things out of the oil that make the oil turn bitter, uh, turn dark and start to smoke. So okay. Instead of your food tasting like that, we say, hey, why don't you fry this pod? And it will take on all of that and more. Uh, and inside the pod, there's a there's a ton of little pores that create the surface that wants to attract all of these things in like a magnet. Um, so that's how it works at, at, the high, at the high level. Now, how it was designed, um, let's just say I spent a lot of time in a lab. Yes. Designing the perfect pod only to go into the market and it failed. It failed so quickly because I had never worked with a chef before. So okay. I completely forgot to include the people who actually be using this thing. Um, so a chef actually gave me the feedback on, hey, it, it sucks fishing out 40 of these pods every night. That's that's impossible. But to me, yeah. it was the perfect surface ratios. So I, I totally over-engineered it. And this chef said, make it one pod, make it fit into my fry basket and make it float so I can make sure to take it out the next day. And then we've got something. So that was where the magic happened. Uh, actually taking the concept, taking my background, taking my childhood and actually presenting it in front of a customer to tell me, totally get what you're trying to do, but you actually need to do it this way over here. And then we can get started. So um, that was a that was a I would call it a crucible moment for <laughs> our for our company. Yes, I love that. And one of the interesting things, um, you know, that that really popped out to me was you essentially are you know talking to us about a moment where 
if you weren't going to be talking to your end user, your customer or your community, uh, your, your venture wouldn't have moved forward. And I find that whether we're talking about product development um, from a from a tech perspective here at Brightly, or we're talking about like a new eco-friendly product that our community is asking us for, you're right. If you don't sit down with the people who are going to be the primary users of what you're building, you can very much over-engineer or create something that you know you might think is a great idea, and then you, then you start talking to someone else, and they're like, "Hey, we love it, but this doesn't really work for me." So that's really interesting and a, and a good insight. Um, I'm sure. Uh, you kind of had, like you said, like this aha moment, right? <laughs> That's right. The, the aha moment for me was I don't have to work as hard developing every feature possible yeah. because the person who will pay for it is going to tell me what they need. And I just need to figure that part out. Now I'm oversimplifying it, of course, but um, I, I don't know about you, but that, that fuels me pretty, pretty quickly that someone's going to tell me what they need. Um, and it's going to be valuable enough for them to to pay for it. Like that's that's super important in this space to have something valuable enough for someone to go out of their way and pay for it. Yeah, absolutely. So since we're on the topic of the chef, um, I'm curious to know more about yeah, like what the average um, I guess life cycle or experience is for you know people in the restaurant industry that are doing frying right now. I mean, so. I'd love to talk a little bit more about that because, um, you know, listeners, to put things into context, we're talking, you know, very much about vegetable oil a lot, a lot of times. And this is what's used most often in cooking and frying. And uh, we found a statistic that said global vegetable oil production amounted to around 209 million metric tons in 2020 to 2021. So that's just in a course of a year. So it's quite a lot. Um, and so, in the context of, you know, frying and preparing food for the world, the restaurant industry kind of goes through a process on a daily basis of, you know, cleaning and disposal. So so maybe I wonder if you can take us a little bit through, um, you know, the journey of an average restaurant, um, you know, maybe letting our listeners know about, you know, maybe what happened before your technology and sort of how your technology can help, um, you know, help a waste reduction perspective and a cost savings perspective for restaurants. I think it's super interesting. Absolutely. You mean I can talk about oil in a public forum? I'll absolutely do that. <laughs> um, so what a restaurant has to go through, uh, the, the typical restaurant will change their oil or should change their oil about twice a week. So the ones okay. that are on top of it, uh, they do. Uh, and what the reason why is oil, the frying oil is an ingredient. So some restaurants view it as overhead. Hey, that's a cooking process. But when your food comes out of the fryer, it's 10 to 40% oil. So if you've got French fries, that's about 10 to 15%. If you've got tortilla chips, that's about 30 to 40%. Uh, so whatever that oil is experiencing your customers are going to experience because it's a part of their food. Oh, wow. Uh, so the, 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 yeah, it's a, it's a big deal. So the, the restaurants that are actively trying to manage, manage it, they have two op they have two options. They either use this, uh, powder that they mix in and the oil is 350 degrees Fahrenheit and they have to mix it for 10 minutes and drain it to a pan and then pump it back into the fryer. But they better make sure the fryer is closed or it's going to splash out really hot. Or the other thing that they can do is kind of cone filter it, which is take a big stock pot and put a filter on top of it and they drain it 
And some chefs, they, they think they're very skilled, so they'll do it, do it extremely hot. So yeah. mean, instant third degree burns, or wow. they're going to say, Hey, let's, let's leave it overnight and do it tomorrow morning. Uh, so they don't, they don't have to experience that. But those are the people who are actively managing it. The people who don't, they just stretch it. Yeah. So there was, there was a time, um, now I'm going to get into the the archives of the oil history. There was a time where there was an issue of something called gutter oil, which okay. is oil that was so far gone that it was not fit for human consumption, but people were still using it to cook. Um, that usually happens when oil becomes very expensive, like it is right now. Um, but these individuals, they know that oil is expensive. I mean, it's the third largest expense of a restaurant. Uh, and they're just trying to stretch it for a week. Maybe they don't have the right amount of staff that can come in and, and move the hot oil uh, 300 yards away in the back. Um, and they don't want to spill it on the ground. So they just keep it until – can it get through the weekend? That's the decision they have to make. Um, so what we – Interpods, we help both of those systems. So if you're not doing anything – we're still capturing the things that are degrading the oils. So even the people that are trying to stretch, that are they need to change twice a week, and now we can get them down to once a week. Or the people who are actively managing it, they're still going to get a benefit of about two to three days. Now, those are quality days. That's important because it is part of your food. So we have to make sure you still have quality product. Um, but what that means for a restaurant is about a used car every year worth of oil costs. Wow. So. Between uh, and then some of your chain restaurants, yeah, mm-hmm. they could they could be saving you know fifteen twenty thousand dollars. I mean, we've had a uh, national brand that was they're socking away up to twenty one million dollars on oil every year. Oh my gosh, that's I mean that's that is not only is it a huge financial burden that is you know having to be bared by restaurant owners it's also a pretty big environmental issue as well right i mean we we were looking um you know vegetable oil itself does come with an environmental footprint just like everything else and you know whether we're talking about issues like um you know, water pollution, deforestation, greenhouse gas emissions, all of these things kind of come into play when we're talking about crops and and harvesting and things like that. But um, we also saw, we found a study um, here that was done actually this year that said across all oil crop systems, um, the medium emissions were about 3.81 kilograms of uh, CO2 per kilogram of refined oil. So again, we're talking about, um, you know, the, the impact of the, um, you know, harvesting, um, you know, it's, it's not free, right? Like nothing that we have in the world, whether we talk about monetarily or costing the environment is free. So in addition to helping on the financial aspect, you're also helping from an environmental perspective, which is where, um, why we were so interested in chatting with you. Um, I'm also curious to, as we think about um, the way restaurants and um, really labor has been squeezed in a sort of post-COVID, well, we say post-COVID, right? It's still going on, but I suppose a, a post-global pandemic world, um, there were a lot of restaurants that had to close their doors. We're also seeing inflation and all sorts of really interesting um, sort of economic impacts. So I'm sure that um, you know being able to provide a product that is helping on all of those um, vectors is really important to you, I, I would suppose, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, it, it really is. And uh, just highlighting COVID uh, and the restaurant industry, 
I had never seen an industry have to iterate its business model so many times, um, which is, which is, you know, it was sad at the time they legitimately had to invent new business models every two weeks. Yes. I had a super stressful for their staff, but it also points to the power of the consumer. Um, these restaurants need to do whatever possible to make sure that their customers feel safe and satisfied uh, coming to their their restaurants. So um, it was sad in, in the time and also highlighting that we as consumers have a lot of say in how restaurant operations work. So when we're looking at inflation, some of this is market corrections, uh, yes. both on uh, what they pay individuals uh, all the way through to uh, making sure that the operators in the market that weren't really making the, the best decisions, it's almost clearing some of those out, uh, not, not taking that lightly, uh, but it, it is something that is almost right-sizing parts of the market uh, as well. Absolutely. And actually speaking about consumer um, wanting to like make sure that consumers are having a good experience, uh, that kind of sparked a question for me, which was taste. So you talked a little bit about, um, you know, gutter oil and sort of like how that's kind of not optimal oil for people to be eating. It's it's not fit for human consumption, but, you know, sometimes, uh, you know, uh, different providers are kind of uh, for whatever reason, or are, are kind of forced to use it. I'm curious to know, as you shared with us, the the amount of oil that goes into you know specific fried foods. Like, what is the health and sort of taste impact um, of of oil on uh, you know food products? And then also, how is your product helping with that notion as well? Sure. Well. Um... Rolling back to oil being an ingredient, so whatever the quality of the oil is, that's a part of the, the quality of your ingredient. Um, so sometimes what happens in these brands is they spend a ton of time uh, creating the right recipe, the, the right uh, seasoning flavors, um, and the right uh, accompanying items to what we call trip at the finish line and put it in gross oil. Okay. Uh, so what so what fresh fry does is we're, since we're removing some of the acids and, and things that impart off flavors, it helps your food taste like it should. So we're not changing how your food tastes. We're letting your food shine like it should. Now, in other markets, not most of the Americas, there's actually a regulation on the disposal point, um, which is basically a metric of how much of your oil is broken down so much that it's no longer oil? So pods, the, the way we're able to measure our impact, we actually measure those things to show that even in a global perspective, we're able to reduce what's called the total polar materials, if we want to get scientific, but how much of the oil is polymerized or linked together and changed into something else. Um, and we're actively suppressing those. So the oil is not only remaining uh, in the background so your food tastes like it should it's not chemically altering the oil it's remaining oil it, it sounds super simple interesting but that's that's the biggest part the oil needs to taste like it should which is like the background yeah in the background of the flavor profile and then you also have to make sure it's hey at the end of the day is this stuff still oil because um it's chemistry things change yeah absolutely well i think that's from from my perspective, um, you know, 
thinking about the way we consume fried foods, obviously, as much as we all love them and wish we could have them 24-7, most of us try to practice moderation. But when we're going to, you know, indulge and in, in have some of those fried foods, you obviously want it to taste good. And so on the one hand, part of me wants to be like, well, I want, you know, before a product, uh, you know, like yours came around, I, part of me would want to say, well, I, I want to empower restaurants to use the same oil as long as they possibly can from a waste perspective, right? Because I'm, I'm so obsessed with that. However, if you're telling me, yeah, there's going to be a big impact to taste, well, then I'm thinking, well, that's not great for me as a consumer. So it's it's interesting that, um, you know, the the product itself is able to help in so many different ways, right? Yeah, yeah. And uh, I love what you said there, that your first glimpse was for the restaurant to be able to use the oil as long as possible. We yeah. we think about it. Um, so we the way we try to approach it is, okay, your oil is in the back of your restaurant, it's going to leave either in a good way or a bad way. The good way is you're selling it in quality food. The bad way is you've got to throw it away because it's gross. Yeah. Um, so what Fresh Fry is trying to accomplish here is keep your oil around long enough for it to be sold in quality food because it's a part of it's it's almost like if you bought a thousand pounds of tomatoes and you only sold five hundred of them, the very next time you're thinking, I'm not gonna buy a thousand pounds. I'm gonna buy five hundred. That's what I sold. Yeah. And that's the challenge with with oil is it's kind of in this hybrid state. Well, I agree with you. We we would love for all of the oil to hit the plate. There's technologies that are trying to really make that happen. Um, but w- it's got to break the mold of just the overhead uh, and more along the lines of how do we keep it quality and measure it in a way that we're actually mapping to how much of this ingredient that we actually get to serve to our customers. And that, I mean, it's so interesting. And I, I'm curious, you just uh, reminded me of a, another question I had, which was around disposal. So yeah, I mean, what happens to this oil that can't be used anymore? Like, where does it go? What is the environmental impact of like the actual waste? So this uh, oil is actually used uh, typically in cosmetics, animal feed, or renewable diesel. So those are, those are the three areas. And what you'll see during this time, so it's very favorable for places like renewable diesel because your metric that you mentioned about GHG emissions uh, for soybean oils and things like that, um, because this has had a continued use, that carbon intensity rating is lower for the used oils out of the system versus fresh soybean oil, which is still lower than your crude oil. Sure. Um, so a lot of refineries will be looking for these feedstocks, um, but it's also in competition with pet food uh, and cosmetics, which we were not expecting to be there, but that, but they're there. Um, so it's really important for uh, companies like us to understand how we're impacting that global system, not only reducing the amount of, of oil coming through the system, but how is it impacting downstream items and things like that. So again, uh, Fresh Fry takes one corporation's trash and turn it into another corporation's treasure. The real question behind that is, well, how do we find different feedstocks that are currently not being used at all to continue to have that um, emission offset as well? 
Yes, I was going to ask you about that. Yeah, potential impacts to biodiesel. And so actually, um, as somebody who's not familiar with the space, so, so okay, the chef, you know, they've gotten as much as they possibly um, c- can out of one batch of oil. How does the oil, um, the disposed oil, make its way to those different industries? Is there like a supply chain set up to, to dispose of oil in that way? Yeah, there's a wild supply chain, actually. Um, and the the part that we see as uh, typical citizens, of the, the worst part of it, the greasy uh, bins on the outside yes. uh, of different restaurants, that is like the genesis. That's that's the start of that supply chain. And then you have some some vacuum trucks that come and suck the, up and get the crumbs out and maybe some water. And then they just continue to aggregate it until it's ready to go on a rail car and okay. go to one of those markets. Uh, so that infrastructure is actually pretty well built. Uh, what we're interested in is how do you continue to add more feedstocks into that infrastructure? So for every kilogram of, uh, let's call it used oil that that we're not sending through that system, we would love to find another kilogram to put in that system. That's even better than, you know, buying the, the refined soybean oil or buying or continuing to use crude oil. Okay, so you're looking for yes, so that makes sense. You're realizing okay, we're we're saving um you know oil from going into that supply chain, but we recognize that there is still a need for it. So are you talking about potentially utilizing like other types of food waste instead of oil? Is that kind of what you're referring to? Well, Laura, I heard you like food waste, so yeah, yeah. let's talk about food waste. That's, <laughs> that's exactly right. Um, yeah. when, when I think of food waste, the highest use is nutrition. Okay. I always think nutrition. So how do we keep it as food as long as possible? Um, and usually it's carbs, proteins, fibers, and fats. That's what's in the waste. And in some streams, you kind of need the fats. That's like animal feeds, but that's a second tier use uh, most likely. So when it comes to the human nutrition, protein is very important. Fiber is important. And then access to some of those carbs. So fat becomes one of the lower end. So yeah, that's always what we're looking at is are there new areas and new ways to have quickly aggregating feedstocks and how can we utilize our time talent and conviction in the space to bring that to life because while we do transform waste into other uh, corporation needs our real claim to fame is taking concepts and actually commercializing them you know this this company started from getting a five pound bucket of scraps to moving several truckloads of product a month over a court over the course of a couple of years, because we, the, the real challenge is not just finding the technology, but to whom is it trash and to whom is it treasure? And how can you make sure the integrity in the supply chain and the traceability is clean throughout? Yep. Well, I love that you guys are thinking about, um, you know, your roles in the food scrap, food waste um, ecosystem on a broader basis, even past oil, right? Like, I think some people would just kind of stop there and be like, hey, you know, I made a great product. It's going to scale. We're going to just focus on that the whole time. But, um, you know, it, it sounds like you're really taking food waste as your core mission. And, you know, there's probably some other, you know, uh, things on the horizon, um, you know, for your company. So, yeah, I'm curious to know a little bit more about that. Like, what other innovations are happening maybe in the food waste uh, space that are interesting to you, either from, you know, a consumer perspective or a company perspective? Um, 
like I said, I could talk about food waste all day. I find it fascinating. <laughs> <laughs> well, you, you come to the right person. I absolutely love this. Um, and as, as I'm sitting here, I'm staring at piles of waste. We, our headquarters is actually next to several uh, waste companies. So we stare at this stuff every day. Um, yeah. But what really gets me excited is when not only entrepreneurs, innovators, or consumers start thinking about waste, um, but when corporations start to shift their mindset from waste being an end of something to a raw material. I mean, it is intrinsically yes. more competitive if you've got the right matchmaker, let's let's point that out. But it is intrinsically more competitive um, and readily available. I mean, on one end, you have a raw material that's costing you X dollars a pound. And then there's another one that people are paying to get rid of that all you have to do is be creative in getting it and maintaining its integrity. It's super exciting. It, it, it calls to action a, a ton of uh, revamping in supply chain. There's just so much there, uh, everything from traceability through to, um, let's call it indefensible ownership. So you start looking at uh, things that are uh, very uh, secure uh, supply chains and, and information and that people can see the value along the way. I just get, I get really excited about it. Uh, Fresh Fry is, is a small part of this uh, that is ever growing. But our, our thing is we, we want to make sure that this thing has Let's let's put some legs on this, and let's invite as many people to the party as possible because a waste is infinite. So so are the yes. returns. Yes, I mean, and if you think about it too, I mean, in in addition to the societal and um, you know obviously environmental gains that we we get, um, you know, as a as a world from better utilizing waste, there's also a ton of financial gains as well, right? Like if you are using a byproduct that typically would just be destined for the landfill and you're, you're creating a business opportunity for it, there's, you know, there's financial gains to be had too. And at Good Together, we're very interested in, you know, what we like to call conscious consumerism and really it's links to capitalism because we do recognize, yes, our governments and institutions at large definitely need, you know, to step in more with regulations and, and making sure that we're protecting the planet as best we can from those types of actions. However, we also understand that in a largely capitalistic society, um, you know, money talks. And so, from, from that perspective, I'm always really excited to see that that scalability. I'm excited to see consumers um, understanding more about this. We actually, um, at Brightly, we um, have sold and, and partnered with a company called Renewal Mill. You may or may not be familiar with them, but they, they I do. I've heard uh, of them, yeah. Yeah, yeah, they do. Um, cool. Like, they're, they're super cool. They do almost like uh, baking mixes, like your, your typical baking mixes that you're used to going to the grocery store and getting, but those baking mixes are made with food waste. Um, and they're they're also they're vegan. They make some really really good cookies and brownies. I'll tell you, I, I enjoyed testing that product as it were. But anyway, I, <laughs> I'm excited for I'm very excited for consumers to to pay attention um, to this in a broader scale. So that actually kind of brings me to our, our last question. I can't believe we've already spent almost half an hour talking about food waste. You and I probably could have our own podcast about it. To be honest, <laughs> just Jeremiah, getting started. <laughs> just getting started. But and maybe we'll have you back on for some more because I'd love to. But, um, well, you know, to, to kind of wrap up this episode, we typically do like to um, ask our guests the same question, um, kind of wrapping things up, which is, 
you know, what is exciting you the most about what you're seeing in the ethical and sustainable sort of lifestyle movement going on right now? Like, we're really excited to, uh, you know, see things from a consumer perspective on our end here at Good Together, but curious to know what you're seeing. So what, what I'm most excited about and also comes with the deep sense of responsibility is the sheer amount of confusion and uh, a little fear that some corporations, some large corporations are experiencing because they're, they're feeling themselves just so accountable to the consumer. Yes. So the, the, the more the consumer can articulate and aggregate needs to actionable things, corporations are answering and that's that's thrilling to me it's it's when it's spread out a bit it makes it challenging um but i'm watching some of these major industries uh need to increase their reporting to have access to debt and what we know about this country is not a, it's not about how much you make it's how much you can borrow so when the lenders are having to see reporting on sustainability to uh, continue to lend to you and that reporting has to be customer facing it could easily be greenwashed but if the consumers continue to stay aware and engaged and aligned oh my gosh this can be fun Oh, absolutely. We talk so much about voting with your dollars. And I think that is really just one way for consumers to tell corporations that they care more about these types of initiatives and items. But again, yeah, like making sure you're showing up you're asking places that may or may not be seen as sustainable, right? Like maybe your your grocery store chain or, um, you know, big box stores that you go to, they're looking to make changes because they are responding to consumer demand. So I'm also really excited about that too, Jeremiah. But um, you have really inspired me to go out and get some French fries uh, after this call. No. <laughs> I, I, I'm, I'm really Done craving... <laughs> really, really craving some fried food. No, um, but really have enjoyed chatting with you. And so listeners, um, you can check out uh, the technology behind Fresh Fry. Um, you can find their website at freshfry.me. Um, but we'll include links to some of the things we talked about in show notes. Um, but I just wanted to thank you again for joining us, Jeremiah. Hey, thank you so much for having me, Laura. It was such a, such a great time. And uh, I really appreciate it. Thanks for joining us on another episode of Good Together. To get show notes and more, head to brightly.eco slash podcast. And as a special thank you to our listeners, use code GOODTOGETHER to get 10% off all products in Brightly's brand new shop full of planet positive swaps for your home. Finally, don't forget to join in on the conversation with us on social, where I know you can find us at brightly.eco. Don't forget, we're all on this journey together, so have fun putting the planet first and stay curious.